You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Well, 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 you're back again, I see. This is episode 196 of the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, and we discuss Warhammer and wargaming and gaming and the community and sometimes philosophy. Don't get me started on that. Anyway, we've got lots of stuff to talk about to you today. <laughs> talk about to you. Oh my God, I'm stupid. 196 episodes and I still cannot get the intro right. What is wrong with me? I blame the public school system. So we are discussing toxic positivity in the games workshop community. It's a new term that I just learned about, and I think it's fascinating. We discussed that. We are also discussing the Horus Heresy weapon upgrade sprue. Now, that might sound like a really boring topic, but actually I have quite a bit to say about it, and I was very excited to see it. That's, that's all I'll say. Then we also have a message from Chris, which is our newest Patreon patron. Airhorn. And <laughs> and uh, he's asking if I have any other tips about uh, multiplayer games and how to balance them. So we discussed that. We are brought to you, speaking of Patreon, by... Brought to you by... Yeah, that didn't sound right in my head. Brought to you by Patreon patrons who keep us going and keep all 196 episodes on the air for everybody to consume and enjoy at their leisure. I hate when people say leisure. Leisure. And also, GameMat.eu. Yeah, GameMat.eu. They sell, guess what? Game mats. Yeah, you guessed it. You passed the test. You're allowed to listen to my podcast now. GameMat.eu. Uh, I really wish I could remember their website. It's um, uh, GameMat.eu. What is their website? I'm going to have to look it up. But I would I would direct you to gamemat.eu's website, but I just can't remember what the address is. So, mm, I don't know. Anyway, oh, it's www.gamemat.eu. That's what it is. Yeah, I forgot the first part. I'm just being stupid now. So, what have I been up to? Well, I played a really cool... It's my third week in a row playing Brutality at the Gaming Club because people keep wanting to play Brutality with me, and and I am just a I'm just a Brutality whore is what I am. I, you you say that you're ready for some Brutality, and I just whip out my ten siders. I'm like, oh, I'll be whatever you want me to be, babe. Melee, fast, range, support, unique, <laughs> anything you want. Stat me out, hun. Anyway, <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> so we played uh, Brutal Space, which uh, is mostly done. I'm doing a bunch of backstory stuff for Brutal Space. And uh, work's been super busy, so I haven't worked on it in like a week or so. But um, we playtested some more Brutal Space, and that came out perfectly. I mean, it was we tied 4-4 four to four in the very last turn. And uh, that couldn't have been perfect, more perfect. I was uh, the Borg, and my friend Derek played the Federation, and we just we just whooped up on each other. And his Sovereign class, which is, if you're not familiar, it's the Enterprise-E, his Sovereign class and my giant Borg cube, they went head-to-head -head and kept bashing into each other. And this mofo rolled ones for saves all day. Like, that's just all critical saves for days, is what he did. So, that was uh, still very fun, though. Um... What else? Um, 
I don't know, all the days are blending together for me. I think I have not mentioned to you that I finished a Romulan warband, or maybe I did mention that last week. I have no idea. I've got no recollection. So it's like 51st dates for me. This is just every day is like the same, but I don't remember the previous day. It's just weird. So I finished a Cardassian warband. I finished a Romulan warband. And now I'm working on... So my friend TJ is printing hallways, a bridge, transporter room, all this stuff for my own ship. And I'm going to do like a solo campaign with this crew. I'm making up all their you know, their personalities and their races and all. That's really fun. And I decided I wanted a Ferengi engineer because that just seems neat to me. And to be honest, um, Rom in DS9 ended up being a really good engineer. And he, I think he joined Starfleet. No, I think Nog was the first Ferengi in Starfleet. But anyway, um, Rom was a really good engineer. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going to make my chief engineer a Ferengi. I thought that would be a neat idea. So that's what I'm doing. I'm painting him right now. I painted up the first uh, section of hallway and the first bedroom that TJ printed. It came out pretty nicely. So I'm very excited each week. Hopefully he's going to have a couple more buildings or rooms printed out. And I'm just going to keep adding to my ship. Eventually, I don't know why. I have no idea why I'm so excited about this. But I love little dioramas. I love little playsets. Like, I just love that. I, I don't know if it's from my childhood or what. But I'm so excited each little model of my main crew is going to have like their own little room and there's going to be a holodeck and a bridge and a med bay and an engineering. And um, I would ideally, and I don't know if I'm going to do this because I don't know how big it's going to end up being, but ideally I would like to have it all permanent, you know, like the hallway system and all of that permanently on a board. I just don't know how big this is all going to end up being when it's all on the table. So I might have to keep it modular, but... I don't know. I guess we'll see. Anyway, I'm very excited about it. And, uh, um, hmm, I think that's about it. So let's get on with the rest of the show. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Well, hello, little doggy. It's time for the Tesseract mailbox. Why was that my intro? I have no idea. Anyway, we <laughs> this is a this is a message from our newest Patreon patron, Chris. Meow, 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 meow. That's an air horn, in case you can't tell. Anyway, he him and I were talking back and forth, and he writes, "Hey, pimp, I've been listening to your podcast for the past three months. I really enjoy it." Thanks, Chris. My two friends and I play 40k almost weekly. We usually do thousand point games. Your quote, "Have fun" approach playing style has helped us kind of relax the rules when we play. It just gets way too complicated for the casual gamer. I am right there with you, Chris. It is, man, you, you know, you know how I feel. You all know how I feel. So I won't expound any further than that. He writes, I do play as Necrons, by the way. Good on you, Chris. Necrons are the best faction. I mean, not on the tabletop and not in the rules and not in the lore and they don't sell the best and well they got like one of the oldest codexes now and you know what no necrons are the best necrons are the best so i'm good on you for sticking with them because that means you're not chasing the meta to be honest with you because necrons to me i think they're fine in this edition i but competitively speaking oh it's a little creepy a little scary 
Anyway, he writes, <laughs> I keep interrupting Chris's email. We did play 1v1v1 a couple times. Do you have any more tips for that play style you can share on the pod? I really enjoyed your spoof on 10th edition when I listened today. Thanks, your fellow late 30s gamer, Chris. Well, um, you know, to be honest with you, I don't recall what specifically I said in the having a three-way with your buddies episode, so I may cover some things I've already said, but these are just the bullet points in my head, the first things that come to mind when I think of doing a multiplayer game. The first thing is make sure that you are deployed so that everybody is equidistant from each other. So you're probably not doing Dawn of War. You're going to do some sort of odd thing. You know, if you were playing four players, then you would probably want to play on a square board and have everyone deployed like in each corner or deployed in the center of each board edge. So they're all equally distant from each other and something like that. Um, you also want to make sure that two people are not incentivized to gang up on somebody. I think I said all this on the podcast, but my memory is garbage. You have got no idea. I'm like practically Alzheimeric or something. I I can't remember stuff. So Alzheimeric, I like that term, Alzheimeric. Another thing that I probably mentioned is that you should find a way so that one person is not getting ganged up on. Really? Okay. All this boils down to. And you know what I want to say, like you pick a direction and you have to attack the person to your left or to your right. Or if you did your psychic against one guy, then you can't shoot the other one. Or I mean, you have to shoot the other one and then you have to charge the other one. Like whatever actions you do, it has to be against alternating different players. That's kind of cool, too. And uh, if you ever did the triumph and treachery, that was a lot of fun. It was a Age of Sigmar type of format and basically you all started with like coins but I think the newer version of it was you start with x amount of victory points and you can give each other victory points like if and this is really fun you actually should probably try this and I don't think I mentioned it on the podcast so everybody starts out with let's say three three victory points just right off the bat and you've got objectives and you want to do kill points or whatever you want to do But if somebody goes to charge you or shoot at you or target you for any reason, you can try to bribe them with victory points and go, oh, man, you're going to wipe out my squad. Listen, listen, don't charge me. Have a victory point. And if they don't like that, then go have two victory points or or whatever. And it's it's a very interesting kind of mechanic between all the players because you can get benefits for not hurting people and it's very neat I always love negotiating I always love like merchant games and and things like that that's what I always loved about D&D is the whole back and forth socially it's not I hate the combat mechanic in D&D I find it very boring but the um the haggling and all of that is always so cool to me so this is basically haggling and or you can make alliances where like look if you don't charge me then I won't shoot you next turn or whatever and of course you can backstab them if you want but then they're not going to trust you again. So it's very, very cool. The point is, is that you just don't team up on one person. Unless, unless this person brought a really cheesy list, right? And they're okay with you teaming up on him. What if he's wrecked half of both you and your third opponent's t- armies? You know, you're both at half and you go, you know what? We need to unify against this guy. There are so many fun scenarios you can make with doing the Triumph and Treachery style gameplay. So I don't think I mentioned that on the podcast. I may have. 
but um, that is really, really fun, and you can tweak that or whatever. Start with five victory points, whatever. I mean, it's it's totally up to you, but that adds a completely different level of negotiating and all of it. It almost adds, like, the um, Game of Thrones game, the Song of Ice and Fire or whatever, the to- tabletop game, has a political system in addition. So if you buy Tyrion or you do, uh, you know, uh, Jamie Lannister is actually a combat character, but if you did Sansa Stark or whatever, you can have them do effects on the battlefield, but they're not actually on the battlefield. You have the sideboard and you can do like diplomacy or you can do whatever. And it's really cool. And it's kind of like a side chess match, which I think that's basically politics, right? Well, this is basically adding politics to your battle of Warhammer 40k. And that's a really, really neat mechanic. It will completely change the way you play. Um, but basically what I was getting at is all of the thing, the biggest concern in a three-way game, the very biggest concern is one person getting completely annihilated. Like if you just team up and you're both like, oh, this aggressor squad's so scary. And you and your opponent both just destroy the aggressor guy. Like that's not that fun. So the any rule that is ever made in a three-way game, and that's basically what my whole podcast covered, I believe, is that you want to, from deployment to activation to targeting to all of that, you want to make sure that one person is not just getting ganged up on. Now, it's really easy for that person to feel like they're being ganged up on, but if you're like, hey, look, I shot you, but I assaulted him, and then he assaulted you but shot me or whatever if you're alternating those active those target priorities and stuff like that that can be really fun or you just you know like I said um I believe I mentioned rolling a scattered eye or you're rolling off and it goes from highest to lowest and you choose who you can target this turn and then that person you're basically picking the order in which people have to target their aggression so if you rolled highest and you're like okay I want to target the guy to my right that with everything I'm fighting him this turn then the guy to your right has to fight the guy to his right, and the guy to his right has to fight you, or or if there's a fourth player, the guy to his right. And you, whoever wins the roll-off, determines the direction the combat goes. And of course, you retaliate in close combat and all of that, but you're not, you're, you can't team up on someone. And that's also a really cool way to do it. But basically, always be cognizant of not teaming up on just one guy, unless he's mopping the floor with you guys and you all agree amicably, hey, you know what? This guy is being a rube. Let's murder him. But I really think the triumph and treachery, the negotiation and all that, the whole purpose behind Wargaming is, yes, strategy, yes, you know, tactics and all that, but it's really a social game. Otherwise, you would just go play some RTS or something on your computer alone against bots. So it really highlights highlights and accentuates the social aspect of it. And I think it's fantastic. So you probably want to try that. All right. Well, thanks for writing in, Chris. And thank you so much for supporting the show. I, I can't tell you how much it means to me. I will see you on the other side of this music. Want that or want that not? Well, since this is the Tesseract Mailbox, let's get into it. Today, we're covering the Special Weapons Upgrade Set for Horus Heresy. Now, I am not a Horus Heresy player, and I don't know how many of you are, but I thought this was really, really cool. We have said forever, uh, my friends and I, that Games Workshop should just sell... I mean, what's the difference between a Devastator Squad and a Tactical Squad? 
it's it's just Marines, right? Their equipment is the only thing that's different. And we've said forever that they should just charge a premium price and give you an upgrade sprue of special weapons. And that way, if you've got extra attack Marines, you can just make those special weapons, a LAS cannon, melt-a-gun, all that. So I am actually thrilled when I saw that Horus Heresy is doing the exact same thing we've said for years. And honestly, in most cases, these weapons will work for your 40k. So you have, for $42, you get 10 plasma guns. Boom, 10 plasma guns. You know what? That's fantastic. Then you get 10, uh, some Horus Heresy gun. I don't know. Then you get 10 more, uh, Horus Heresy gun. I don't know. Then you get 10 more Melta guns, which, you know what? That's pretty good. Then you think that might be done, right? That's 40 mod of the 40 weapons. Oh no, you get 10 flamers then, which is like, wow, they, they keep giving, don't they? Then you get 10 assault cannons. I mean, this is 60 special weapons for $42. Now, I'm sure that sounds like a lot, right? Oh, $42. But if you think about it, a typical Devastator squad is, what, 50 bucks now? And you're going to end up getting, what, one or two melta guns, uh, one or two plasma guns. I mean, this is actually a fantastic deal, in my opinion. And no, they're not paying me to say this. I truly think that if they went with more modular things like this, kind of like the upgrade spurs for Space Wolves or any of that, if they did that more often, they could sell more of the base set that they wanted. You know, Tac Marines, right? Tac Marines. They just sell double the Tac Marines. Okay, let me do the math here in case no one's following me. You will sell X amount of Tac Marines, right? Boxes. Then you will sell X amount of Devastators, boxes okay the devastators could just be tactical marine bodies so you would sell more tactical marine squads and then you're like oh but they'd miss out on the money from all the devastator boxes oh no 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 mon frere then you sell them upgrade weapons and you are getting way more utility out of the tactical marine box than you ever thought possible now to be honest with you to be completely honest 60 weapons for $42? I am shocked at that price point. Because, in my opinion, $42 is super cheap for 60 special weapons. I am blown away that we did not get half of that. I am shocked that we did not get 30 special weapons for $42. 60 seems like an absolute steal. And I'm shocked if it's 60 that it's not $60 for 60 of them. It's $42. It's nearly, it's a little more than, 50 cents for every special weapon. I am beside myself. Like, this is legit. The plasma guns have a slightly different nozzle on them, right? But they look just like the plasma guns in 40k. Just, just barely slightly different, but totally you'll never notice it. And the melta guns look pretty much identical to regular melta guns. Now, the flamers do have that old flamer nozzle. It's not the current one with the holes and the little torch. It's the old, like, um, second edition flamer look to it. Because it's Horus Heresy, it's old. I get that. And then the autocannons are basically just autocannons. Now, of course, autocannons are not something you can take on attack marine. So I do get that. You could, I guess, uh, put it on a Terminator or something like that, I guess. So the thing about this set, though, is, is it still worth it? 
to, if you're going to use this for 40k, you end up getting 10 plasma guns, 10 melta guns, and 10 flamers for $42. Hmm. Honestly, that's still just slightly over, what's that, 33... No, it's a dollar thirty. A dollar thirty per weapon. That's basically even if you ignore the other thirty weapons in this set, I mean, that's basically what you'd buy pay online. You end up paying a couple dollars online for special weapons when people bit them out. So to me, yeah, this is still a fantastic deal. I, I totally think this is a step in the right direction. I think they should start doing this with all of their kits. And uh I, it's definitely a want that for me. I mean, I'm not playing Marines anymore, except for my cast base Marines and my gray Knights, but gray Knights don't use any of these weapons and my cast base Marines. I'm not using any of these weapons either. They usually come, especially now like the, uh, single pose models. So, eh, I probably won't end up buying this, but if I was playing Marines, if I was buying a Marine army, man, this would, this would definitely be an auto buy for $42. So if you don't buy it, uh, you're dumb. That's be, uh, just what I'm, hey, I speak the truth. You're dumb if you don't buy it for $42. Okay? Anyway, this is a fantastic deal, in my opinion. Tell me if I'm wrong. Write me. I don't care. Anyway, let's go on to the next segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pentcron. Hey, everybody. It is the Real Talk, and I am just James. No, I'm not. <laughs> I had you for a minute, didn't I? No, no, I don't think I had anybody. But the point is, is that we came across a concept recently that I thought was extremely odd. I'd never thought about it before. You always hear about toxicity in communities for different fandoms, right? Oh, the fandom is toxic. Oh, the people are, I don't know, toxic's the word they always use, and you know what that means, it's people that are overly negative, blah blah blah, they hate everything and everyone, and nothing can ever be right in their eyes with their community, etc, etc, so that's toxic, but I heard the term recently, toxic positivity in Games Workshop community, and I was just enamored with that concept, it had never occurred to me before that there could be such thing as toxic positivity, and at first you're like, oh, well, you know, that actually sounds like a good thing. Like maybe people are overly positive, blah, blah, blah. And at first I kind of thought that too. I'm like, toxic positivity. What is it? If it's toxic, that's negative, but positivity is good. What does that mean exactly? So I had to dig, do some digging on Reddit and find out exactly what toxic positivity means in Warhammer. And basically they brought up the concept that People that are GW apologists for everything that Games Workshop does are producing a toxic community. And by the way, I don't like the word toxic. I think it's way overused. If someone doesn't like something you said, suddenly you're toxic. Like, I, I just, it's one of those catchphrases that everybody loves to use, those buzzwords, and I do not care for them. But anyway, this is the term they're using, so I'm going to use it, even though it kind of grinds my gears a little bit. But they were saying that they're producing a toxic community where Games Workshop can do no wrong and any of the dissenters are squashed or silenced. Specifically, they were saying in the 40k official subreddit or whatever that the mods there, and it's a very, very large community on Reddit, 
The mods there will accept no negativity, no negative posts. You'll be removed if you talk bad about GW. And isn't that just a very fascinating idea? It's like the Gestapo or the Thought Police. And while I do take part in taking the piss out of GW from time to time, don't I? Yeah, I do. Matter of fact, that was basically my whole career at Bell of All Souls was... <laughs> was sticking it to the man, right? Um, Sometimes I meant it, sometimes I didn't, you know, it was was basically all for the lols. I was a big troll back then, and uh, I still still am more or less, but um, anyway, so a lot of people love to complain about GW, and there's also a lot of people that love to apologize for GW, and truly, I've never been able to wrap my head around what percentage of the population does X, Y, or Z? Like, obviously, you can go on YouTube, and it's video after video after video of negativity about Games Workshop. I mean, it's it's ridiculous how much negativity about Games Workshop. But then there's also a lot of people that buy every single product the Games Workshop makes, and they they believe Games Workshop can do no wrong. And it really depends on what environment or community you're in, whether or not you feel like they are the majority. So some of you listening right now are going to go, oh, absolutely, this is a, this is a toxic community and, and everybody just hates Games Workshop and everybody's so negative all the time and we're all whining and complaining. And then some of you are listening to this right now and you're like, oh, actually, yeah, I think there's a, I think the majority of the community, like, you know, Games Workshop can do no wrong and blah, blah, blah. So... It really depends on where you hang out. You know, maybe the YouTube comment section is pretty negative, but maybe you're part of a Facebook group that you're always exposed to and they're pretty positive or whatever. Apparently, according to what I saw, the main 40k Reddit subreddit is pretty darn positive to Games Workshop. So maybe it's ran by Games Workshop. I have no idea. I have no idea who moderates that, but I just thought it was a really neat idea. And I also wanted to ask if that was even a possibility. Can there really be toxic positivity? But given that definition, I really think that some people are negatively positive. Does that make sense? (laughs) Now, I think really, I think the community falls into several different categories, okay? There are the new people that are getting into the game and they have the most enthusiasm about the game and they have not yet been burned by Games Games Workshop in any way and they're not used to... They don't see any of these new prices as being a price hike, right? Because they're just jumping in now. They're like, oh, 60 bucks for five models? Oh, okay. That's no big deal. And they've never waited a decade for a Codex and they've never... You know, I mean, they've just not been exposed to all that stuff. So those people are more likely to be toxically positive, I think, because they're just rose-colored glasses, you know, they're still in love with Games Workshop and all of that, and they're just excited for everything. It's like a new relationship, so I I totally get that. Then you've got the people that are always going to be negative. They're toxically negative. They're always going to be, ah, oh, it's it's $60 for five models? It should have been $50, or it should have been and then you get the really extreme people. Oh, it should have been ten dollars. It was. Oh, you know what? That's only five dollars in plastic in that box. It should only be ten dollars. This is this is ridiculous. Capitalism sucks. Then you got those people, right? And I actually stumbled upon Sig Marxism as a subreddit, 
and it's for leftist Warhammer fans. <laughs> and like every single comment was, ah, I hate capitalism, which I just thought was kind of funny. So, <laughs> but the point is, is that you've got some people that will always be angry no matter what. So you've got the people that are toxic, toxically positive, people toxically negative. Then you've got a couple other subclasses of fans. You've got some fans, which really, I think I fit this bill. I kind of nothing GW at this point. You know, I've went through my fanboyism. I've went through my hatred of them. And now I'm just kind of like numb to the pain of being a uh, Games Workshop player. Uh, like, I don't hate them. I don't think they're the world's worst company. I don't think they're EA or Blizzard or Nestle or any of those other horrible companies. I don't think they're horrible companies. I think they are possibly poorly managed at some times and sometimes just clueless. But I really don't think that they are like a, a terrible company. So I don't hate Games Workshop. I understand they're a business and they're a corporation and they need to make them profits. I mean, that's just what it is. If you don't like it, then don't play, to be honest. So that's my opinion of it. But I will also call them out when they are being a rube because, I mean, I, I'm not in love with them and I don't hate them. So I, I'm capable of doing all of that. Um, So I feel like there's some older players like myself that are kind of just neutral to Games Workshop. And we might like their games, but we don't necessarily care for them as a company, but we don't hate them as a company either, because we realize they are a business. They have to have a profit, etc. Then you've got the people that may not hate Games Workshop, but they are so worn out. They are like, have you ever met an old couple or an older couple that have been together for a while, and they they're kind of just roommates. They don't they don't hate each other anymore or they don't hate each other and they don't really love each other anymore. They just like tolerate each other. That is kind of like the same category I'm in, but there's like the the worn out person. That's another category of of player. And um really I think that's basically it. There's also another category that I also somewhat fit in is that People that just ignore all the nonsense, okay? You are more pragmatic about it. You just, you either buy the merchandise or you don't buy the merchandise. And you're not concerned with the new new releases. You play in your garage with your buddies or you play alone. You play with your spouse or whatever. You don't go to tournaments. You kind of just stay in your own lane. You stay in your nice little comfy corner of the universe and you just play their games. Like that's, that's all you do. You don't keep up with the latest stuff. You don't care about FAQs. And that probably is me mostly where, and I guess it's similar to the indifferent one. Um, but there's a lot of people that just don't keep up with it. Then there are the people that are not necessarily GW pod, uh, fanboys and they're not GW naysayers, but they keep up with all of the meta. And they are actively playing the game and paying attention to the game and keeping up with the game. And there's nothing wrong with that either. It doesn't mean they can't have a positive or negative opinion of Games Workshop. Honestly, they are, I would call them the active players because they are paying attention to the way the game actively is with the FAQs and the new meta and the different, you know, tournament standings and all of that. Not necessarily competitive and not necessarily whack players or anything like that. There's just a lot of people that do actively keep up with the game. And then there's the passive players, like the garage hammer kind of guys that are more like me. They just, 
you know, I have an idea of the new releases. I've got an idea that an FAQ came out. I may or may not read it. I typically don't read them. And But you're just not really concerned. You just do your own thing and you play the game you want to play. The more active players are the ones that play the game the game the way the game was intended to be played with all the new rules and with all the everything. And that's totally fine too. There are typically the players that also buy the supplements. If a new supplement comes out for their army or like the psychic awakening had benefits or upgrades for different armies, they'll buy those and they'll stay on top of everything. Um, So I think those are the different types of people that make this community. Of course you also have, it kind of goes without saying you also have just the hobbyists that just paint models and all of that. Then you've also got the lore people that really don't play or anything like that. But as far as the players, um, I would not say if, I mean, I've been, I've been around quite a bit in Warhammer. I've seen a lot of comment sections. I've seen a lot of videos. And of course the negative people are the most loud. That's just the way it goes, right? We flip on the news. The news is mostly negative because that gets your attention. It's the fight or flight reflex, all of that. If the news was all just positive, oh, Jimmy saved a cat from the tree, you'd be like, ah, let's go see what's happening on MTV or let me go find some real housewife drama. I don't even know if that's still a show anymore, but you get the point. Like, oh, this is not engaging. What? They planted another tree in the park? Ugh, bore me to death. So those people that complain a lot get the most attention because we all want to hear, ooh, you know, what's... What's going on with Games Workshop that's that's saucy and whatever. So, but I don't think that is really indicative of, like, the, the main community. I think the main community is actually a pretty good mix of, you know, toxically negative, toxically positive, and then a bunch of people somewhere in between. And I think that's the same thing goes with politics, right? No matter how you are, left or right or whatever, people may claim they're left or right, but the vast majority, I'm willing to put my, my pride on the line and say 70 or 80% of the population is somewhere in the middle. They might lean left or they might lean right, or they might whatever, but they are pretty much in the middle. There's a huge bell curve of people that, you know, on certain topics, they feel a certain way on other topics. They feel another way, that sort of thing. There's very few people that are hardcore, truly right or truly left. And uh, I think that same thing goes with religion and atheism or really anything, any dichotomy that you might run into where most people, they might see if someone leans left or right, they'll be like, oh, that person is left or right. Well, not really. I mean, most people, any reasonable person that isn't just a a mouthpiece for their political party, is going to see that there is merit on both sides of the aisle. And they're kind of on the fence about a lot of stuff. They might have an opinion varying per topic, but mostly most people are kind of in the middle and kind of reasonable. So I think that's basically the bulk. I think that goes for pretty much any, any population, any demographic, where the vast majority, 70, 80% is somewhere in the middle with their inclining. You know, I guess I'm, I would lean negative towards GW, but I'm really in the middle. I'm pretty much true neutral. Um, if true neutral was 50 out of a hundred and you know, a hundred was way positive, zero was way negative. I personally feel like I'm like a 45 
I think 45. Like, I'm just a little bit, personally, in my heart of hearts, I'm just slightly negative because I've seen GW do a lot of crappy and stupid things. I'm slightly negative to them. I, I even feel like saying that me being a 40 would be too strong. I mean, I'm, I might sometimes be a 40 out of 100, but uh, typically I say about 45. And of course, you, you swing back and forth. There was the golden age a couple years ago, starting around 2017, that they started becoming good guy GW. And then I was probably a 55 or a 60. And I was like, wow, they're really, you know, coming around. They're really doing a lot of cool stuff for the fans. And that's kind of, I think they're kind of turning back more to the greed but, I mean, once again, it's a company, guys. Like, it, it's not a charity. It's none of that stuff. So, and it is going to oscillate between times. So, anyway, uh, think about yourself. Think about, and if you want to write into me and let me know what where you are on the scale, 50 is true neutral, 100 is GW fanboy toxic positivity, 0 is toxic neg negativity, GW can do no right. Where are you on that scale, truly? Really do some soul searching and email me at pimpcron at gmail.com or facebook.com slash pimpcron or on the Patreon, message me or whatever. If you, if I know you personally, message me on Messenger. Um, so I would be interested to hear where people come, come in. And then if, you know, enough people comment, then I might just make a, a little Tesseract mailbox segment or something out of that. So thank you for listening, and no, I don't think a large portion of the community is toxically positive. That is still such an intriguing idea to me, but no, I don't think we are. I think everyone is, is pretty much, you know, the word average is average for a reason. Like, it, it, that's, what, that's what it is. Average would be the middle of the ground, the average of what you'd find. And I think the average wargame player is probably average on the scale of love or hate to Games Workshop. And like I said, I think that goes for anything. Anyway, thank you to pay... <laughs> it was like a combination of saying Patreon and Pimpcron. Thank you for Pimpcreon, Pancreas, Patreon for supporting the show. Thank you for all these people that help keep the lights on at the Pimpcron headquarters. And... Thank you to GameAt.eu for supporting the show. And I will see you next week. And, I, you know, I'm trying actively not to be negative. It's very easy to be negative. So you'll notice last episode was pretty positive. And this, this episode is uh, maybe not positive, but definitely middle of the way. I'll see you next week, guys.